Welcome to the Blueprint for Better Business podcast, hosted by me, Charles Wookie. 11 years ago, I co-founded the charity, A Blueprint for Better Business, with the aim of helping create a better society through better business. I ran it for 10 years, working mostly with leaders of large companies who, for their own reasons, have sought to transform their businesses to become purpose-led. In this series, we're speaking to some of these leaders and change makers and explore the realities of creating purpose-led businesses. This is always both a personal and organizational challenge. So the conversations explore both the personal motivation of these leaders, as well as what they've done and learned in their leadership roles. In different ways, they're all pioneers of a way of thinking and acting, which releases the latent potential of people and puts business at the service of creating a better world. But the stories are always personal and different. My successor, Sarah Gillard, and I have found them all inspiring, and we hope you do too. If you enjoy this podcast, please take the time to leave a review. It helps others to find it. Thank you. In the first of this series of podcasts, my guest is my successor, Sarah Gillard, who is the CEO of A Blueprint for Better Business. And I'm very keen to have a conversation with Sarah about her experience and to reflect on my own experience of accompanying businesses as they seek to embrace this challenge of becoming purpose-led. And also to reflect with Sarah on what we really both want to learn from the conversations that a number of business leaders have agreed to have with me in these subsequent episodes of this podcast series about what the personal and organizational challenges really are in transforming a business in this way. So, Sarah, I'd love to know from you, how do you see what Blueprint is and what it does and why it does it? Well, it's pretty unique, actually, and it's one of the reasons that I was um, attracted by it. It's an independent charity that works directly with businesses, typically really big businesses, in a way that they don't often experience, I think, from other advisors. Now, partly that's because we're a, we're a charity, But our purpose is to create better business, which in turn creates better society. So because business has got such a huge role to play in shaping society, we work directly with with businesses who have a significant impact. And we help them be inspired and guided by a purpose that does benefit society and respects people and planet. And we do that in quite an unusual way. We don't go in with, here's our 10-step path to purpose or his are five big tips on how you uh, become purpose-led we try and encourage a different way of thinking and again that's quite an unusual thing for business leaders I guess to to do is to sit down and and think about thinking um you know the beliefs and assumptions that they bring into their decision making and, and not be given an answer by somebody so we sort of create a space for dialogue and reflection and often quite profound questions and exploration and it's very welcome I think I think the the people who we work with really appreciate the the space to reflect on some of this stuff so we we work with business leaders but we also convene forums and events and we work with investors and academics and influencers from wider society and to try and sort of shift the system that businesses operate in so yeah that's sort of the the two main things that we do and you come to running blueprint from your experience at john lewis and you also did some work i think i'm right in saying at the last your last stint as it were at john lewis before you left to 
come to Blueprint was actually helping John Lewis think about its purpose. Yeah. Do you want to say a bit about that and how you think about that experience now in the context of what you're doing now? Yeah. So I joined the John Lewis Partnership about, gosh, about 14 years ago, having had a long career, a long and unsatisfying career in retail, trying to work out if you could retain any sense of sort of morals or ethics or soul and still survive in an incredibly competitive, brutal retail environment. And I'd pretty much given up hope. And I went to the John Lewis Partnership as a sort of last ditch attempt to see if it genuinely was a different way of doing business as it professed to be or not. It was sort of, you know, purpose wash, which is obviously it wasn't a phrase 14 years ago, but it definitely is now. So I I went sort of curious. And within about a week, I'd become convinced that there was something really interesting here. And I, I did various roles in the business. I worked in commercial strategy. I worked in trading. I worked in the people function, looking at culture and leadership and all sorts and sort of discovered purpose like you might discover the source of the Nile. You know, it it is a purpose-led organisation, but my sort of diagnosis was that it wasn't creating all of the advantages that purpose can create. It wasn't defining the organisation's success. It wasn't shaping its strategy. It wasn't informing its culture. It wasn't kind of alive inside the organisation. And so, you know, everyone said, of course, it's a purpose-led organisation. But in fact, there were sort of 80,000 different versions of what the purpose was. And that lack of clarity meant that it was kind of ignored. And I became like hugely enthusiastic about the origins of the John Lewis Partnership, which genuinely was to serve society. You know, that's that's why the the Speed and Lewis, the original founder, sort of gave it away to the employees and and set it up to try and continue to serve society as society evolved. And so I became really fascinated by the the origins and became convinced that if the organisation could rediscover its true purpose that was about serving society it would help everything else you know it would help guide innovation it would help reinvigorate the culture it would help re-establish its role in society which had become kind of forgotten in the pursuit of you know market share and on all the other things that organizations focus on all of which are important but if that becomes the sole focus you begin to lose frankly, all of the humanity of the organisation. And that was what I could see beginning to happen. So in the last two years that I was there, I I led some work to rediscover and re-articulate the purpose of the organisation so it was relevant for the 21st century and then work out what that meant for how it made decisions, its strategy, how it measured success, how it recruited people, what it promoted, how it described leadership, all sorts of different areas of the business but having having seen the kind of re-energizing effect that these purpose conversations had on people inside the business and what it might do for its kind of long-term resilience and and strategic work I very much wanted to spread the word basically (laughs) so so moving blueprint was just a brilliant way of talking to other organizations about this because you know I had seen the effect that it, it can have and yeah wanted to share it Yes, yes. And what's extraordinary, isn't it, is the way the landscape has now changed. So, you know, when we started Blueprint in 2012, the early conversations which I would have with with people would be, well, why on earth should I be interested in purpose? I mean, what's the business case? Why should I be talking to you? And it took quite a long time for that to shift and what was very remarkable i think is that it did shift you know around about 2015 2016 i would say where 
for a range of complex reasons. I mean, Blueprint was a part, but only one little player in this, I think. People did suddenly become interested, genuinely interested in the question of having a purpose beyond profit. We're not simply here to maximize shareholder value. And in a way now, I think we've gone quite a long way down the, the transformation, at least in the sense that most large organizations now feel the need to, shall we say, pretend to have a purpose, even if they don't have a purpose beyond profit. But the language of purpose has become very mainstream. And I think, I don't know what you feel about this, but my sense is that that's both now a, a challenge and an opportunity for Blueprint because the, the door is open for a conversation. But actually, in many, well, it's difficult to generalize about this, but there's a certain amount of, shall we say, of, of new wallpaper, of enlightened shareholder value, the fundamental thinking and constructs are not really changing, but the language around them is changing. So so the easiest way of thinking about we're going to do purpose is to think of it as corporate social responsibility with knobs on. And it's a few new things rather than a kind of really fundamental challenge to how the business thinks about its reason for being, which is, as we both know, the the kind of origin of that. And that's quite interesting too, I think. The challenge that you have and the opportunity you have leading the charity now is fascinating it's a you know it's a different place in other words from where it was when i started yeah it definitely is and, and you know i think a number of things have contributed to that and, and absolutely the context has changed from when blueprint was founded i think you know climate change is now a reality people can see it whereas 10 years ago it was probably still a kind of theoretical thing that might happen somewhere else but wasn't going to affect us <laughs> and now it really is and social inequality is visible social justice is a topic on everybody's lips i think the black lives matter movement really sort of brought that into into the business world in a way that social justice matters probably hadn't and so you know businesses are having to navigate a complex landscape which was always the case but it was probably hidden by the focus on shareholder value and now that complexity is kind of visible and everybody wants businesses to step up you know and, and create an economic system that genuinely is contributing to human well-being and planetary health. I mean, it's employees want it. And you see sort of activism inside organisations as employees become more vocal about what they expect their organisation to do. Customers want it. Increasingly, investors are interested in what the purpose of the organisation is because they recognise its role in creating resilience and ability to kind of manage through crises and whatever. And yeah, there's, there's much more academic research now on on the kind of what purpose of business is and why it is a good thing uh, for everybody. And, and I do think that conversation has, has really changed. And, and so what Blueprint does now, you know, the, the focus is a bit different. But what I am interested in, Charles, is how on earth you managed to keep going for all of those years when purpose was not as fashionable as it is now. I mean, what? why were you inspired to create Blueprint in the first place when, as you say, you know, most people just didn't think this was a relevant topic for for business leaders to engage in well i think and um, i don't want to overstate my own role i mean there was a bunch of us who got together it was very much a collective exercise creating blueprint i was just one of the people involved but i think i mean the starting point was the breakdown of trust that was the presenting issue in 2012 between business and society after the financial crisis and you know with bp's Deepwater horizon gsk got some corruption scandals so by 2012 this had gone way beyond the financial sector so there was that sense so and the thing that really excited me was the way in which people from different walks of life 
from philosophy. There were people from the great faiths. There were economists. We had some business leaders. So just standing back as people looking at what have we got here in terms of the relationship between business and society and coming for completely different reasons to a shared view. And that was, for me, what really energized and excited me. You know, the, so the presenting issues were, one, there was a disconnect between business and society, because if you go around just saying, my job is to maximize profit, then you don't care about the environment, you don't care about society, you try and minimize your tax and so on, all those things. But actually, the other thing which a lot of us, which we started with, was this idea of people feeling they're living divided lives, that somehow I'm leaving some of myself at the door on the way into the office. And, you know, people who are kind of good people, which I strongly believe most people are and want to be good people and do good things with their lives, find themselves behaving in ways that they wouldn't behave at home because the culture is toxic and behavior is expected, which is not respecting the dignity of other people, particularly and quite exploitative in terms of customers and suppliers. And you think, well, how does that happen? And the way in which people are thought about and how organizations see themselves as social organizations, I suppose in a way was the kind of light bulb moment for me that there were assumptions that were in play, which weren't surfaced. So everybody assumed that the idea that the purpose of business is to maximize profit is a kind of law of physics. And that assuming that people are atomized individuals motivated by money, state and power is, is another kind of just a given of human life. And then you know, when you surface those and people say, well, these are just assumptions. These are just ideas. And it's possible to change ideas and to argue about ideas and to think about what could be different if different ideas are operative. And again, I think for me, the joy and potency and usefulness of Blueprint is the fact that it brought together these different sources of learning and experience to create a way of thinking about a business which is much, much more human-centered and grounded in evidence and also attuned more fundamentally to creating a good society. So that's what excited me. And I think the construct that we created with the one-page framework and then with Unilever and others creating a one-page, a second one-pager, you know, two pages in two years, and those bits of paper did take, you know, there was a lot of care and thought went into them. And what's good is I do, I do think they've stood the test of time. I mean, they, you know, you could tweak them. And as you rightly say, when we started, the whole environmental agenda was on the edge not as front and center as it is now. Uh, it was obviously there, but it wasn't as prominent as it needed to be, nor actually with a diversity and inclusion agenda in the same way that they are now. I think in both of those ways, Blueprint, like lots of other organizations, has been learning as it's gone along, and we're continuing to learn how you integrate these ways of, of thinking and these priorities. But I think for me, the thing that's really exciting is the learning about what it means to be human and what we know of organizations that enable people to flourish and find fulfillment through their work in their lives, whether they're employees or customers and suppliers in relation to business or communities. And so I think, and I know, you know, we've talked a bit about this before, but for me, now that the, the external environment has changed so dramatically, so purpose is current, is current, but What's the real challenge now where Blueprint's distinctiveness, it seems to me, is continually relevant is around this whole human-centered bit, human dignity. What does it really mean for organizations to provide environments in which people can grow and thrive? I don't know. Does that? Yeah. And I think the pandemic accelerated a lot of the sort of reawakening of people about that, that divided self that you were talking about. Because, you know, I think fundamentally they were asking to many people were asking two questions during that period 
you know, is my business part of the problem or part of the solution? So how is the business that I'm working for creating value for society? Is it important that it survives? And if so, why? And the second question was, is this a good use of my working life? Am I devoting my <laughs> waking hours to an organisation that I feel is genuinely in service of, you know, the future that I would like to build and that treats people in the way that I would want them to be treated? And and, and I think people being in their homes, or, you know, if they, if they were able to work from home and being on Zoom the whole time and watching, you know, people's kids and cats and whatever coming across yeah the basic humanity was sort of in your face every day and you couldn't maintain this sense of well here here's who I am at work and then here's who I am at home because it just became really evident that you were in fact the same person so I think that questioning of what are we doing here what's it in service of and are we really focused on the humanity that ought to have been always at the core of what business is about but have sort of got a bit lost I think, yeah, lots of people began thinking about that during the pandemic, and I, I can't see that going away. You know, various people sort of say, oh, purpose is a fad. I don't think so, because I think purpose talks to the very kind of heart of what humans are, as you say, social, and searching for meaning. And there was a sort of, I don't know, a kind of acceptance for a while that you could put all of that on hold when you went into the office. <laughs> that sort of, you know, re requirement to be collaborative and and social and and find connection and find meaning in what you do because that was the contract that you had you know you you sort of went to work did the job and then you came home and became your proper self again and I just don't think people want to tolerate that anymore and so putting sort of humanity back into business is now a, such a huge call from all quarters that yeah I think the conversation has changed so Charles having been in this game for a while how would you define purpose-led business so the way I think about it is that it's two things. It's the business having a reason for being in terms of the better world that arises from its success. In other words, it has a good answer to the question, why is the world and society better off as a result of you being here and you being successful? And uh, that orientation to the better society, better world, better planet shapes everything the business talks about, does, and how it does it. But that's one aspect of it. The second aspect is that the business sees itself as a social organization or a human system and cares about people and the quality of relationships it has internally with employees and externally with stakeholders. And it sees the desire to have a positive impact on the lives of people, however they touch the business, as an intrinsic part of what the business exists to do. So. The business instinctively sees people as people, not assets or things, and not to be used instrumentally for the services of business success. So I think it's both of those things for me is what a purpose-led business is. And interestingly, when you say those things out loud, they, they don't seem unreasonable, do they? Um, and it's <laughs> how, far, how far away? No they, no, they don't. They kind of seem obvious. And in a way, I do think, I think everything Blueprint says and does is really common sense. And part of the problem is that we're trying to escape from the prison of really powerful, dominant paradigms and ideas which have narrowed the focus of people in business. But that's very easy to say in a kind of slightly smug way. But, you know, because the the challenges, I think, within the business context now to try and 
bring this thinking to life within existing large organizations where these ways of embedded ways of thinking are very strong is non-trivial and it sounds like motherhood and apple pie when you put it like that you know well you're saying you can just do everything how wonderful i mean if we'd been able to do all these wonderful things surely everybody would have done this by now so why are we where we are and what needs to change so i i think it would be interesting i think to explore together a little bit about where we see the you know, the impetus for change we talked a bit about in terms of people's desire in the workplace to find more and the dissatisfaction at a personal level and at a societal level with the status quo. What do we think are the critical factors that are going to be needed to make purpose-led business more commonplace? And what are some of the barriers getting in the way of that? How do you see that? Well, I guess one of the, the barriers had been relevance. But I think, as we've talked about earlier, the urgency and scale of the problem is now so clear in terms of societal and environmental breakdown, to be honest. You know, the permacrisis is now a word, and it wasn't a word a few years ago. So I think that's not an acceptable outcome for humanity. You know, these kind of huge crises across climate and nature and health and well-being and inequality and social cohesion. I mean, you know, obviously something is is not working well. And of course, there is a role, a huge role for governments and the financial system to play in beginning to re-engineer how the system is designed so that it is better focused on creating positive outcomes for humanity and the planet. But the role of business is also really significant. And there are definitely some factors that could change that would make purpose-led business easier. So, you know, the government could tilt the playing field in in lots of ways to encourage purpose-led business, the financial system and the regulatory system. Well, I I think, you know, perhaps through becoming clearer about what a successful business aims for in terms of the capitals, not just the financial capitals. So continuing the work that they've done with corporate governance, code and, you know, company law and all the rest of it that tries to bring in a focus on the other stakeholders. I think there is a way of going further with tax incentives and guidance that enables companies to actively balance the interests of all stakeholders rather than feel that there is a presumption to shareholders. So I, I think there are, there are ways that that could be encouraged. Financial system as well, you can see the massive explosion kind of green finance or ESG funds or whatever. And I think, you know, work is ongoing to try and be clearer on what are the metrics and measurements of success and how do you avoid greenwashing and how do we get a system of measurement that is transparent and comparable and allows investors to genuinely sort of channel funds into areas where there's going to be positive outcomes for for society and humanity and asset owners are becoming increasingly uh, focused on this in their mandates as well. So I think there are lots of ways in which the kind of government and financial and regulatory system can encourage purpose-led business. However, I also believe it's the case that there are purpose-led businesses operating in the current system already. So we don't need to wait for changes in, in the business and, and, and regulatory system. It might make things easier, but there are successful purpose-led businesses operating already. And a lot of that is down to the will, the rationale and the courage of the leaders inside that business collectively deciding that things could be better, that the role that their organisation plays could be better and that they're determined to make it so. And so I think the individual agency of people inside business at any level, frankly, of course it's useful if the senior team have come to this conclusion 
But it doesn't have to start there. It can start from within the organization itself. And people at any level can begin to think, well, how do we actually make things better? How do I make things better? How does my team make things better? And that begins to change the conversation inside businesses. So, you know, the beliefs that you were talking about there in terms of what are we here for? How do we want to be? How do we connect the why, the what and the how so that everything is coherent? That energy happens inside a business and it's possible to do that even with our existing system. And I think, again, that's why I was so excited about joining Blueprint, because it works at that sort of fundamental level of the mindset that's required to make these changes. Um, You know, once you and I think one of the fascinating things is once you begin to explore that, you can't unsee it. So the, the more people who are involved in this conversation, the more people who see that this conversation is valid and that it's got, you know, back up from academics and all the rest of it, I think that the power of the ideas that, that Blueprint have been developing, that, that it's really significant. And, and you can see people begin to just get the will, the rationale and the courage for change. And that's really where change happens. You know, it's one meeting at a time. We don't need to wait for the law to change. Yeah, I used to kind of think to myself that that what we were trying to do is to create psychological permission for different conversations to happen inside an organization and that be okay. And I I love what you say, because I think it's absolutely right that um, once you've seen something differently, you can't unsee it. You can pretend that it's not possible, but you can't not know what you know. And I also, it's striking, and I know Margaret Heffernan, who we both know and admire, talks about social contagion. And, you know, when you think about, well, how do mindsets change? How do people come to see the world differently and start behaving differently? And a lot of it is about the power of real example when people see a peer, particularly a peer in another organization or their own organization at the same level in another department or division, just doing something brilliant and just thinking, actually, we could do that. And it it then de-risks it and makes it possible. So I think, and the fact that we all probably have a bit more agency than we think we have and know is another thing. I mean, another thing which strikes me as being a, a kind of source of attraction in all of this is that in a way I think a purpose-led business decenters itself in the sense that the world doesn't revolve around the business. The world revolves around the problems that the business exists to help contribute to solve. And so it pushes you to think outside the business. What do our customers really need? What do our stakeholders really need? Where are their pain points? Where are the opportunities for us as a business to create value for society? And thinking of creating value for society and then, of course, thinking about, well, which of that value can we capture? Can we turn into profitable products and services? But the starting point is, what are the pain points? What are the problems that we can contribute to? And and that mindset then leading to thinking about ways we can collaborate with others and create partnerships with others in helping to address problems which we can't solve by ourselves. But actually, as a business, we can create some brilliant products and services which help and work alongside other people. And that, that, that I've seen these, the way the power of agency within the system, particularly with these large companies, when they start to adopt that mentality, is huge. Because they do actually, if they want to, have a position in, to become agents in the system. So there is, I think there is that sort of decentering. So let me just ask you one thing, which, as you know, we're going to do, is, this is a, the first in a series of conversations, and I'm going to be talking to a number of people that Blueprint has worked with over the last few years, leaders in different businesses in different sectors. I think one question is, what is the role of leadership 
in this whole area you know to what extent does a purpose-led business live or die by having a purpose-led leader and how do you think about that and how do how do we create the conditions in which becoming purpose-led is something that is robust to changes in leaders well i think that's um, i think that's really critical and i think often you know a leader might be a catalyst that absolutely as you say provides this sort of organizational permission for these conversations to begin to happen but then if it relies on their still being in the business it's not a sustainable change so i think that reorientation of the business as you describe to what impact is it having how are we helping what you know what problems are we solving how are we making life better for people is really critical because that's enduring and i think one of the you know one of the, one of the challenges of of talking about purpose in business is the language because it's it's not business language. And so finding the sort of translation is really critical. And so, you know, you don't go around asking employees what you think the purpose of this business is, but you might say, what makes you proud to work here? And that sense of pride almost always starts with, well, here is the impact that I know that we have on X, depending on where you work in the organization, our customers, our suppliers, the communities in which we work, our employees and how we help them fulfill their potential whatever it is pride comes from really your your ability to to have a positive impact on others i think and and so the more that conversation is alive inside the organization the less it relies on one person's vision of what the organization is for because it then it brings everybody into the conversation and everybody's thinking well how am i contributing what more can i do how do i make life a bit better for whoever my key audience is and and it depends on on the role that you do and i think that's that's a really human way of starting. And it's, it sort of takes it away from the sort of intellectualization of purpose into a, well, what can I do? And Margaret Heffernan, who we do both know and admire, said to me years ago when I had no power inside an organization, was feeling frustrated at my ability to not change anything. She said, well, start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. And I wrote it on my and I began literally by making a cup of tea for the people who I sat near because I thought well I could do that you know that makes life a bit better and you begin to sort of create that sense as you say of agency inside an organization of okay what can I do you know I can't I can't change the whole thing all at once but what can I do and how do I begin to create that social contagion because people do do what they see other people do and it becomes cool to do it and I think that's one of the joyous things that I see happening in the sort of the, the general purpose movement is people kind of going well how do I get into their gang because that looks cool <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that's how people change yeah 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 wonderful wonderful okay so what I mean we're both kind of learning and looking around the world at what is changing and we've got the privilege of of having these conversations with a bunch of people in the next few weeks what would you love to learn now from those conversations what would you be really keen to hear from the leaders of some of these these businesses i'll be talking to well i mean i they they are the pioneers really of purpose-led business in in the 21st century and you know i think what collectively we're trying to do is work out how this goes from being something that the innovators and early adopters do to the early majority, you know, it's got it's got to become mainstream. And so really understanding what was it that convinced them that there was a better way in the first place? Because it, you know, f- for them, 
there wasn't necessarily a clear path to follow or, or, or you know, Harvard Business Review case studies of all of these successful organisations. There was data out there, but it, but it would have been quite hard to find. So what was it that convinced them there was a better way and that they could play a role inside their organisation in finding that better way? What gave them the courage to act? Because this wasn't and still isn't something that's taught in business school about how you become a great leader of an organization. So, you know, finding that courage must have come from from something else rather than, you know, formal business education. I'd be really interested in what their biggest obstacles were and how they overcame them, because I think hearing about the difficulties is a very useful thing before you embark on this journey yourself so that you can sort of dodge the the pitfalls or at least know know where they are. And then I guess following on from the what were the pitfalls, the, the next question is, well, why would you bother? Why would anyone bother? What what are the benefits? What has driven you? Why has this brought you joy and fulfillment in your life? Because it doesn't sound like the easy option. You know, the easy thing is just to maintain the status quo. <laughs> so why didn't you? And what were the benefits to you as an individual, as well as the business as a whole and, and society at large, if, if you're seeing those benefits already? And then how do they feel about the journey to date? You know, what's made them proud? Mm-hmm. And what lies ahead? What gives them optimism for the future? I think one of the one of the things that's most important about everybody knows what the difficulties are, or at least how difficult things might be to change. But I think hearing about where the positives are and what's bringing them joy and optimism is so important in in encouraging the movement. So yeah, those would be my top questions. Well, that's tremendous, and I will do my best to try and elicit answers to those to those questions. I mean, I think. Uh, yeah, it, as you're absolutely right. It's much easier to list all the obstacles. I mean, and a very current one, for instance, is how on earth do we think about the relationship between purpose and ESG with all this, these different conversations going on and the language becoming very confused? How do you measure any of this? Should I give you my easy analogy? Yeah, go on. Give me your easy analogy on purpose and ESG. How do you, how do you answer that? So purpose is the reason that you start the car in the first place and the destination to which you are heading. You might never arrive there. In fact, a good purpose, you don't ever arrive there. ESG is uh, the dashboard on the car that gives you some understanding of the progress that you're making, you know, the, the miles that you've travelled or the petrol that you've used or the speed that you're going or whatever else it is. So it's, it's, it's really useful as indicators, but it's not the reason you start the car and it's not the, the, end, the end goal. How about that as an easy analogy? Excellent. You know, one of the really interesting questions, which I'm sure you get asked, and you know, I've been reflecting on as well, is well, why why is all this happening now? I mean, we've had Milton Friedman's view, um, um, the Homo Economicus idea of people simply being self interested, but all of a sudden there is this explosion of interest in a different way of thinking about business and of thinking about people in business. So why is that happening now? Well, I do think um, the urgency and the scale of the problems that we face as humanity have become evident to everybody. You know, they've been evident to a number of people for some time, scientists and others, but whether it's climate change, whether it's social inequality, whether it's health inequality, whether it's social justice, whether it's frankly the sort of threat to democratic institutions and the political polarization and the breakdown of societal cohesion that we're seeing across the world, that the the challenges that we face in creating a world where humans are flourishing and the planet is flourishing are really significant and they are now encroaching on everybody's day-to-day lives. And I think the appetite, therefore, from all people, 
citizens of the world, many of whom are stakeholders of business as employees or customers or investors or suppliers, has really increased to the point where everyone is demanding change. And the role that business can play in shaping a future that is more conducive to human flourishing and, and uh, environmental health is now very clear. And so the, the sort of demand for change is happening inside business and outside business. And business leaders themselves want to be part of the solution. I mean, as you said, you know, m- most people are good and want to feel like they're having a positive impact. And I think business leaders probably sort of you know, heightened by the pandemic, realise the impact that they could have if they use their assets and capabilities and resources in service of society explicitly. And so, you know, I, I think there's there's lots of sort of the stars are beginning to align. Everybody wants this to happen. The consequences of this not happening are becoming clearer. And happily, the academic research also demonstrates that if more businesses were to become purpose-led, it would be good for everybody. In lots of different ways so yeah stars are aligning yeah i mean i i think w- w- there's a phrase in one of the cop documents which i've uh, not was for, for for the paris meeting the cop 15 meeting which has stayed with me which is that the world needs to move from an economic system optimized for growth and profit to an economic system optimized for human well-being and a sustainable ecosystem now that doesn't mean you don't need growth and profit, but you no longer need growth and profit for their own sake. We need the growth in profitable businesses that are going to help create human well-being and a sustainable ecosystem. So I really like that framing because what it does is it situates the growth of purpose-led business in service of and as part of this broader essential system shift, which the world needs. But I think it raises really interesting questions about growth. And about the business models of some purpose-led businesses, even that want to grow and want to create profits through delivering solutions to problem people and planet, as Colin Mayer would put it. But I, I think we're bumping up against some of the limits to the ways of thinking about growth. And I don't have an answer to this, but I kind of feel that the language of purpose-led business is really important, but is there a way in which you and I could unwittingly be contributing to the continuation of a way of thinking and acting, which kind of adapts, but not sufficiently to the need? Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple of things need to happen in in the language of growth. I think it needs to include the other capitals. So, you know, to what extent is human growth, societal growth, natural capitals. These are really important resources on which not just business, but society as a whole depend on their health in order to operate. So, you know, looking at it through only the prism of financial growth is a is a strangely narrow one. You know, when you when you kind of step back and think, well, what are we doing here? Only judging success of organizations and whole economies by financial metrics is odd. And and governments for some time have been many governments have been trying to work out, you know, well-being indexes or other ways of measuring success rather than just GDP. I think the other thing that needs to happen is this concept not just of sustainability, but of regenerative, you know, behavior, so that the systems on which we all rely are not just being protected, but they are being regenerated. So regenerated, yeah. Yeah, and 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 enhanced because of the degradation that we've seen already. So 
So I, I think purpose-led growth is possible, but only if you reframe what you mean by growth. And financial is just one yeah. of the, the aspects of, of what that growth right. would be. Right. So this notion of linking purpose to regeneration uh, and how we think about the challenge in those terms, which it has to be in the end, a purpose-led business has to be a regenerative business in the world we live in where you've got finite resources, is actually a really interesting further iteration and development of the core insight that a business needs to serve society. So the question then becomes, what does it need to do and to be if it's really going to do that in the context in which we are now? Yes. And, and I, I think, think that's a really fascinating challenge for, for you and the, yeah. and the team of Blueprint. In, uh, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and, it, and it kind of, in a nutshell, describes the maturity journey, doesn't it? You know, initially it was sort of reduce harm uh, and then it's do no harm. And then it begins to go actually, you know, create positive good. And, and regeneration is, is part of that. And there's a, a the BSI, the British Science Institute, has issued, it's called PAS 808. But for those who are looking for the kind of official definition of what a purpose-driven organisation is, uh, Google PAS 808, and it gives you a very kind of clear articulation of what a purpose-driven business is. So for those who are sort of saying, oh, this is all, you know, fluffy and you can't pin it down. Well, it's now been pinned down in very kind of <laughs> detailed language. So so definitely look at that. But I do think you know, oh, there you go. moving from neutral to positive is... Uh, is really neutral to positive. Well, you're talking about the steps of moving from do less harm. I remember years ago talking to the chairman of a, a company that was operating in a slightly problematic sector, shall we say. And, I, and we were talking about what principles you could adopt. And I said, what about the principle do no harm? And he looked at me and said, Charles, I think I could do with do no net harm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think this is why this, this mindset thing is so important, because if, if people are treating it as an equation of, I'll do a whole load of bad over here, but I'll do some good over here and the net offers, right. you know, then we're the still net. in, you know, CSR territory. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the difference in a purpose-driven organisation. The thing that they actually do to create value is positive for people and planet in some way. And they do no harm while doing it. And ideally, they're regenerating the capitals on which they rely in doing so. And they're paying attention, as you you know, critically say, to the, the quality of the relationships that they create. So the, the why, the what and the how are all coherent. Now, now that purpose is terribly common, right? So lots and lots of organisations <laughs> have got one. Yeah. And most companies would describe themselves as being purpose led. And we both know that this is much, much easier said than done in the way Blueprint thinks about it as fundamentally human centred how would you go about if you wandered into a company that described itself as being purpose-led what would you immediately look for to try and understand whether they were serious about this as you go into the lobby well that's a great question and, and actually I heard somebody talk about how you can measure a culture and of course there's lots of different ways of measuring a culture but uh, he said the easiest way is <laughs> I don't know if this would make the podcast. Look at where the CEO parks their car, and then look at where most people go to the toilet, as in the quality of the, of okay. the facilities, <laughs> and and see if you can see a big difference between the care and attention that's that's laid on those two things. So I, I think genuinely, literally wandering around the organisation. Now, people don't need to be able to quote the purpose back at you like a kind of parrot and say, "Well, you know, here is the song that we have to sing every morning." But I think. Asking people, you know, what makes you proud to work here? How does it feel working here? What gets celebrated? What's tolerated? What gets you promoted here? What matters? What do people talk about in your appraisal? What do people talk about when they're looking at a business case? How 
do you see this company having a positive impact or otherwise on the world at large? I just think these are questions that anybody could understand and answer. And again, sort of grounds purpose in the reality of what does this business do? What does it feel like to work here? And are we proud of what we do and and how we conduct ourselves and, and our relationships with people outside of this business? So I think it's a question that people are increasingly asking. And I I think there are a couple of dangers with the sort of purpose washing thing. You know, one is that we're seeing purpose hushing. So organizations that are doing good stuff, but are terrified of being accused of not being 100% perfect are now kind of not talking about what they're doing, which means that nobody can learn from what they're doing. Yeah. And the second thing is, you know, if an organization, let's say, is malevolently saying one thing and doing another, the transparency now, you know, through social media and things like Glassdoor and all the rest of it means that the gap between them saying one thing and doing another is now like a nanosecond before they're called out on it. So I think it's really important to distinguish between positive intent, which often starts with a declaration of intent and sort of commitment to creating a plan that's going to deliver on that intent. And then just talking about it and not doing anything at all. And if you're at the beginning of the journey, you're probably talking about it and there's not a huge amount of action yet because to do this well, the entire organisation needs to be involved in, you know, working out what needs to change, what needs to happen. So, you know, there's often a sort of lag of we want to be purpose-led. What does that mean? Okay, well, let's work it out. And, you know, you're working out what to do. But if that lag goes on too long, then you're in the territory of purpose washing where you're talking about it and not actually doing it. So, yeah, I think I think people inside the organisation are very well placed to comment on what they see and how it feels to work there. Yeah, I think uh, I completely agree with that. And the, the other thing that strikes me just as you say that is that organisations are loath to be completely honest about the fact that they haven't quite got there so one sees very large organizations describe themselves as purpose-led and it's emblazoned and it's as if we've achieved this and this is what we now are and everything we're doing but actually for many organizations it's hugely work in progress and it's great to have a stated aspiration but it would feel much more honest and energizing really for people internally and externally if there was more public recognition of, do you know what? Here's the ambition we've set. Here's the gap between current reality and that ambition. We are working on this, but being purpose-led is an aspiration, not a reality in this organization. And I, I think that would be a great help, actually, if more organizations are willing to talk in those terms, because people know. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> they, know they know. You know <laughs> who are you trying to kid? <laughs> exactly trying to get, and, and i think what it does is it sort of devalues the currency when people just claim something which everybody just says well really so maybe i don't know whether an honesty box yeah well it's true it'd be a really good idea i think it's also one of the advantages of sort of the social contagion and this sort of mainstreaming of the conversation you know if you knew as a business leader that the journey might take 10 years before you can be really confident that a large proportion, most of what you do and what you say and how you treat people and the rest of it is true to how you would aspire to be being purpose-led. It does take a really long time because you're having to kind of rewire much of the organisation and reshape the business model, reshape your recruitment processes, your incentivization structures. You know, that there's a huge amount that needs to happen before 
you're able to sort of look across the organization and say everything that we do, all of our processes, structures, the software and the hardware of the organization is aligned to our purpose. That does take a really long time. And I think recognizing that is really important because then no one's expecting you to have nailed it in three months. Um, and you can be honest about that because you've set out a, a mm. time scale. Yeah, yeah. Realistic. Sarah, it's a delight to chat to you about this. And I, I know we both feel passionately about the opportunity here and you know, the small but distinctive role that Blueprint is playing and, and can continue to play in helping to shift the narrative and the, and what companies actually do in the UK and even beyond. So it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you ever so much for your time now in creating this podcast together. <laughs> and as you know, I'm now going to go off and interview a bunch of people using some of the questions we've just discussed uh, and then we're going to reconvene when I've done that Excellent. and have another chat about well what have we learned from them about the challenges that they've faced and what they've done and how does that sit then with the with what we both see as the opportunities and needs in the years to come uh, and what businesses can do so thank you ever so much for your time now and I look forward very much to round two thank you, thank you, for, thank you for setting blueprint up Charles and uh paving the way for us all so uh, and uh, yeah very much look forward to round two good luck with the interviews okay thanks so much bye-bye thank you for listening to this episode of the blueprint for better business podcast to find out more about the charity visit blueprintforbusiness.org or use the link in the show notes and i can be found at charleswookieassociates.com you can subscribe to new episodes wherever you get your podcasts and do leave us a review. It helps others to find the podcast. Thank you.